Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Jim, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. I was calling to get uh, some advice on a flagstone walkway I'm trying to put around an above ground pool. Okay. I'm using sand that uh, that was used for the base under the vinyl liner of this pool to try and make a base for the pavers for the flagstones. And I'm afraid I may be going too thick on parts of it because it got a little bit wet and I stepped on one of them after I thought I had it settled real good and it sank. Yep. And so is there a go ahead. And, and that's going to happen oh, even you know even once you got all the stones down. Uh, if you, if you step on them and it's just plain sand, they're going to shift and move on you a little bit. How thick did you make it? Over an inch. I'm not certain, but it was more than an inch. Yeah. I'll tell you what I've always done when I'm using sand base that way under flagstone or paver stones or, or even just bricks that I lay down for uh, decorations like that. Mix some Portland in it. And basically what you're going to do is be mixing a stabilized sand bed. And so it, it still lays out just like you're doing, but then once it gets wet and dries, it's set up where it won't ooze out any longer. And it doesn't take okay. that much. If you take uh, five shovels of sand and mix one shovel of Portland in it, you've got a, a great stabilized sand base. So Home Depot's got Portland cement, and that's how it's marked? Yep. All right, I've heard that. I mean, I knew it's just cement with an aggregate, but I didn't know exactly how to buy it. So Yeah, yeah, just buy okay. it in the bags, and you're good to go. Excellent. Thank you, sir. You bet, Jim. Take care. And, and uh, honestly, I've done that uh, where I set my jacuzzi uh, years ago. I had bought a jacuzzi back in 96, and I had to raise that area about eight inches, and it worked. And I put paver stones on top. It worked wonderfully. Now in that situation, though, because I was coming up so high, I went with uh, that was one back when I lived in San Antonio, and I went with uh, limestone base first, brought it up some, and then for leveling everything out, I used the stabilized sand. And then when you're finished, you can sweep sand, just plain sand, into all the uh, joints and stuff. When you're using flagstone, you want to use a mortar typically or, or just, again, have sand there. But if you, especially by a pool, you're better off to mix mortar in with the sand because you don't want to be dragging the sand into the water all the time. I had an email question that came in on Thursday. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use this email question because I'm going to tell you I get a ton of these questions as cold fronts start blowing through. I mean, it happens every single year. We have a two-story home in Austin that was built in late 1990s. Recently, two cracks appeared in the kitchen floor. I believe this is the original flooring. One starts at the wall of the pantry, which is along an outside wall, and the other starts at the dishwasher across from the pantry. There are no cracks in the walls or ceilings. What type contractor should I contact to determine if it is a foundation, structure, or flooring problem? 
not living in Austin full-time. We are not familiar with reputable contractors, so any help would be greatly appreciated. Now, I read this because I get this same question all over the state of Texas, whether it's Austin, Dallas, Houston, every place. The larger area of tile you have, the more likely you are it's going to cross over an expansion joint, which in a slab is nothing more than a crack that appears because concrete expands and contracts with temperature and moisture changes. When we get cold fronts that blow through, and I'm talking about the ones where the temperature drops, you know, 25, 30, 40 degrees in a matter of just minutes, the concrete starts changing temperatures so fast that that, that crack actually moves a little bit but the tile on top isn't changing temperature as fast because the air in the house is keeping the tile rather constant on the temperature. And that transfers that crack then through because one floor or the concrete is expanding and contracting. The tile is not. Boom, the tile gets a crack. And the larger area of tile you have, the more likely you are you're over one of these cracks that causes this. Well, normally when we get these cold fronts blowing through, what happens is that we start getting a lot of calls here on the show and at Due West Foundation Repair about all of a sudden I woke up one morning, my tile had popped up, and I got a tent formed in my tile. Very common problem. It has nothing to do with foundation movement. It has to do strictly with the temperature change in the concrete versus the outside air. And it happens so fast that, that, that the, the, the concrete starts moving and all of a sudden the, the tile literally just pops up and it will literally put the tile about three inches high when it pops up like that. That's why everybody always says it formed a little tent. It looks just like a pup tent. Now, to, to if it helps you any, yes, the floor's got to be replaced in order to fix it. They do make some mastics that you can put down that have some elasticity to it so that the tile can handle it better the next time we have one of these fronts come through. Uh, they also make mats that you can put down if you have concrete that has cracks in it and stuff. And then you can put your tile on top of that so the concrete moves independent of the tile. All this stuff is available at Floor & Decor. You can check them out as, as, long, as well as uh, getting your tile and wood floors and all that there. But... Um, it does not indicate that you have any type of foundation movement. If you have foundation movement, you got cracks in the sheetrock, you've got cracks in the brick veneer, doors out of alignment, things like that. The tile simply cracking does not indicate foundation movement. So I want to rest, put your mind at ease on that. Uh, but I know it, it's it's horrible that you got to replace the tile. And like this email said. I mean, this, this floor had been down since the 90s, and now it's all of a sudden doing it? Very common, because the materials that were used get more brittle over time, and that's where it becomes an issue. This one was, I live in a condo near downtown Dallas with a shared pier and beam crawl space. It would seem unreasonable to an encapsulate system due to all the pipes, piers, electrical conduit, cable and phone wires, etc. Not to mention, it is the length of three condos. When it rains, water collects in the crawl space and continues the moisture problem. 
Here's where the real issue lies, negative pressure. Inside my unit, I have a dryer and two bathrooms, all of which vent to the outside. This creates a negative pressure area in my condo, drawing the moisture from below, warping my hardwood floors and creating a musty and moldy smell throughout the unit. Can crawl space ventilation be installed that would create a larger negative space below, thus preventing my unit from pulling air from below? The answer is yes, you can put proper ventilation where you're drawing air in and, and you know circulating the air underneath. I think the first thing you need to do though is address the water issue. You don't want standing water under there. So you'll probably want to deal with some sump pumps to keep the area dry. That combined with the ventilation absolutely can take care of the problem. Now one of the other uh, things that though can happen with these negative pressures in condos, you actually can start getting odors and like if a neighbor smokes, getting smoke into your condo from them. It is possible with an air conditioning system to pressurize your unit and keep anything from coming into your unit that way. Uh, but that would require some working, you know, bringing in fresh air from outside and pressurizing your unit. It, it definitely can be done though. Uh, so yes, you do have a couple of options on it. You can encapsulate a space like that though. I mean, every crawl space has the pipes and all that and there there is ways that you seal around those pipes for the encapsulation. But even if you were gonna encapsulate it down there, you still need to deal with the water that runs in when you have rains and ponds underneath. So I would address that issue first and then start dealing on the other issues. We have an attic leak, which I believe is from our brick chimney. Can you recommend someone to look at it? Thank you. Well, here's the thing. Attic leaks or chimney leaks, a lot of times people are, are blaming the leak on the chimney itself. And it's not the chimney that's leaking. It's the flashing around the chimney. And here's how you can tell actually a lot of times the difference. If the water's coming down, inside the fireplace you know in other words in the firebox you have a chimney leak if the water is coming down and it's uh staining the sheetrock and you know uh, on the inside of the home that's not a leak in the chimney that's typically a leak in the flashing and so what you need in that case is a roofing contractor who can come out check your flashing for and find where the leak is and seal it up. Now in some cases it's a fact that the water down the roof comes straight and hits the chimney. When I bought my house I had that situation. The water would just slap into the side of the chimney and then it had to go around. You build on the back side what's called a cricket and basically you're just putting a, a little roof on the back side of the chimney so as the water comes down it's diverted around the chimney instead of hitting straight into it. That helps a lot on getting rid of these water problems. And then you still have to make sure that all the flashing and everything is secured. Well obviously Arrington Roofing can take care of all of that for you. 214-698-8443 is the number to call for Arrington Roofing. Uh, and again they can uh, 
they can take care of that. So if you're getting water that's staining the sheetrock at the fireplace, before you start calling the chimney people, have the roofer out and let's get it taken care of first that way because 99% of the time, that's what it's going to be. James, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How you doing, sir? Uh, so my neighbor's selling her house, and she wants to replace the fence that my house and hers uh, shares. And she's uh, she said, uh, get a couple quotes on my side, and she'll get a couple quotes, and we'll split the cost. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Problem is, I don't know what, what questions to ask the, uh, the, the, the contractors to make sure I get a good quality 10-year fence. Sure. Well, the first thing you're going to want to check is, are you getting a real contractor or just some guy who's out uh, putting in fences? Uh, And by that, I mean you can have a contractor who does nothing but fences, but then you can also have the pickup guy who doesn't carry insurance, doesn't have an office, uh, and should you need his services a year from now, he's long time gone. So the first question is, do they carry any insurance? You're looking yeah. for general liability and workers' comp. General liability is kind of critical because if they have an accident and damage something on your property or the neighbor's property, you want to know that he's got the financial responsibility to take care of it. Okay. Uh, Otherwise, I'd be responsible for it. Could be, yeah, if she if she wants to get pushy with it. Okay. Uh, the other uh, question I always ask is, do you carry workers' comp? Now, I'm going to be up front. Most fencing contractors are going to not carry workers' comp. Where that can become critical is somebody gets hurt on the job. If the contractor carries workers' comp, that that employee cannot come back and sue you, the homeowner. If they do not carry workers' comp, he has the right to come back and sue you as the homeowner if he's injured. Okay. And let's face it, you're using saws, you're using air nailers and different things like that. Things can happen. Right. So now beyond that, let's get into what materials they're going to use, how many rails are they going to put on the fence, uh, things like that. And you're going to want to make sure that you have a list of how you want it done so that everybody's bidding the same thing and you can compare apples to apples. Okay. So for, for a good fence that I could reliably say, okay, it's good for 10 years. What, what what am I looking for in materials, rails, and all that? I want a, a minimum of three rails, top, bottom, and one in the middle. I want cedar pickets not treated. Uh, the, the rails will be treated. I personally like using the metal uh, post instead of wood post. And, you know, so that would be the direction I would be going with it. Okay. And can the flats be as tight together as as they can get them, or do they need expansion room? Nope. You can. You typically when uh, those pickets come out, they're they're all they're wet as heck, and so you put them together tight. As they dry, they're going to shrink a little bit and put a gap there, so you don't need to put a gap in. Okay. All right. So if I want if I want maximum privacy, is there? Yes, Wait, for maximum privacy, what you do is you you have the pickets put in, and then you use a uh, like a one by three mm-hmm. uh, over those gaps, uh, and that gives you the maximum privacy because then it, as they shrink, nothing opens up, you know. 
Okay. Uh, and then, the, of course, the question everybody asks you, who do you recommend to do something like this? Uh, you want to know the truth? I don't have a, a fencing contractor I recommend. Oh, that's disheartening. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, and if uh, I, and if I knew somebody who was really good at it, I would, you know, whether they're a sponsor or not, I would I would give it to you. But uh, honestly, uh, the fencing guys that I have talked to, they're, they're all s always so isolated in the areas that they work. I just don't have somebody that I can say, hey, here's a guy that you everybody can call. All right. Well, I appreciate it, sir. You bet. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Hello, the ground under our three-section wrought iron fence shifts where we can no longer close and lock the center gate. We had it worked on, but it again, but it is again where we need more repair. They poured a lot of concrete to stabilize our previous fence gate. Guy is no longer available. Any suggestions? Thank you, Margaret. Well, you know, the unfortunate thing is with the soils in our area, when they get dry, they shrink, they get wet, they expand, and that constant movement will move the fence post. Because typically a fence post is nothing more than something that's stuck into the ground, usually somewhere two feet, and if you're lucky, they'll go three feet, and with concrete around it. Well, the soil will dry out five, six, seven feet deep. And you will notice when the soil dries out, in some posts, sometimes the whole fence gets shaky. So that tells me that that fence was put in when the soil was real dry. I'm, I'm sorry, real wet. And so when the soil dries out, it shrinks away from the post. If the fence is put in when the soil is real dry, when the soils get wet and expand, it actually gets tighter around the concrete and minimizes the shakiness. So when you're, especially with fence posts, you know, where, where you're trying to stabilize them that way, it becomes very critical as far as when you do it. Now, as far as the up and down movement of it, unless you're going to keep the soil moist and keep it expanded all the time, you're never going to be able to control that. So that's why it's critical that you, along with watering the foundation, you keep areas like fence posts like that watered. Uh, if you got pool decks, put soaker hoses around the pool deck to keep it watered. Just any place that the expansion and contraction of the soil is going to cause you heartache, keep it moist all the time because it's impossible to keep it dry all the time. That's why you got to keep it moist. So how can you fix the problem you've got now? If it's that the post has sunk, literally you're going to have to jack the post up and then somehow put some material to hold it up. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, if you go into the box stores, they're now carrying the expansive foam that you can put around a post for like your mailbox and things like that instead of using concrete. Well, if you can get a trough, a little trail going down to the bottom of your fence post or if you get fence posts like I was talking about a minute ago that were drilled when it was wet when the soils dried out it shrunk away and the post is real wobbly and you got space around it you can use some of that expansive foam that they had designed for putting in mailboxes and such to fill those cavities those voids and firm everything up and because the way it works is once you put that in there that foam expands and it turns extremely hard 
I mean, they make foam for, for lifting road beds and everything. So, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that you can use it for the post. And and I've seen where you can, I have a, a, a rig for injecting foam. And, I mean, you can go underneath a pier and inject the foam and lift a pier up. So there's no reason you can't do it with a fence as well. The tricky part is getting the material down to the right depth. Well, if you've got a fence post like you're talking about here, you can actually dig just a small tr trail going all the way to the bottom of it. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm going to give you a trick how to do that. Get you a trail down to the bottom to where you can dump the material in and let it expand. And not only can it fill underneath the post, but it can fill the trough going down to it. The easiest way to do it, get a three-quarter inch pipe with a thread adapter to put it onto a garden hose and high pressure water jet going down that gives you a clear trail once you get it all the way down let the water dissipate and it won't take long especially in the dry soils we have right now so you let the water dissipate now you can stick the pipe down in there fill it with that foam you know and push it down in to the bottom of the hole pulling the pipe out as you're filling it with the foam you filled everything up set everything in place, and locked it in. Now, again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is going to be a real simple project. You're going to get a little muddy because you're dealing with water and dirt. And when it comes time to mess with the foam, you have seconds, not minutes, but seconds to do it right. So you got to get your pipe in there, dump the foam in there, be pulling the pipe out as you're doing it, and literally in about 20 seconds, it'll set, start setting up on you and be done. It is that quick. So hopefully that'll help you out with that project. Now, the only other choice on, on to do it is to take the whole thing out. You break the concrete off the post and reset the post again. And you can use that foam to reset it, or you can use concrete to reset it again. But with our moving soils, shifting of fence post is inevitable. We have a problem with moisture in the slab of my home. When the moisture does dry, it leaves a white powder-like substance on the concrete. I have had advice from various people, but no one seems to be in agreement. I know I can seal the concrete, but what type of sealer would be best? If sealed, how long will the sealer hold up? We had to pull up all the carpet and flooring after the flood, and I can't replace it until we can resolve the problem. By the way, this is out of the Houston area. This is not a new problem, as it appeared years ago when we replaced the tile in the kitchen with inlaid linoleum. The powder made bumps along the edge of the linoleum at the wall and or next to the lower cabinets. Hope you have a suggestion. Thanks very much. And, uh, oh, let's see, that's from Maryland. And that's actually from Dickinson. And I don't know if you watched the news, but Dickinson was hit hard with Harvey. I mean, there was houses that the, the water was over the roof down there. Uh, Dickinson is very close to Galveston. Look, that, that white powder that you're seeing is effervescence. And whether you're down in an area that flooded or your house has never had any water in it, you are subject to have an effervescence coming up through the concrete. It's a chemical reaction between the uh, stones and the Portlands and the, the inert items that are put into con uh, concrete. 
when moisture gets in there, it starts to make that effervescence that comes up through the concrete surface. And yes, there are products that you can put on the concrete to minimize or eliminate this problem altogether. Uh, Quick Creek makes one. Uh, that uh, you would think it'd be available at the box stores, but it's not. You end up ordering it. Uh, another company called Deitch Coatings makes one. Those are the two that I'm familiar with and know work very well. Quickrete, you would just have to Google where they have it or see if one of the stores would order it for you. Deitch Coatings, theirs you have to order from them. Uh, their website is Deitch, D-A-I-C-H, Coatings.com. And uh, you basically, since you got everything off the concrete, you would roll this material out onto the concrete. It's like a paint. It soaks in. You really don't see it once it's down. Uh, and that should clear up the problem. Now, the one thing that you mentioned that normally would concern me is, you know, the edges of the cabinets and things like that. But if the house flooded, you're having to replace the cabinets anyway. So make sure you do it before you replace the cabinets. Because otherwise, you're still going to have the efflorescence coming up underneath the cabinets. And yes, it can curl up on the edges of flooring like linoleum and things like that. So hopefully that'll take care of the problem for you. Uh, you know, this is not unusual. Many homes get the efflorescence coming up. And just for everybody who's never seen it in their house, now all of a sudden they are seeing it after we have heavy rains and such. It can start on a house that's 30 years old that's never had it before. It's one of those things that's just kind of a, a time bomb waiting to happen in concrete. Now, does it cause any health issues or anything? No. It's just one of those things that's very annoying. Normally, in an air-conditioned home, you don't see it. This is something that's really prevalent in garages and places like that as the moisture gets into the concrete. But in the, the living space, because your air conditioner is dehumidifying, normally it keeps it under control in the living space of the home. And this one really caught my attention for one very big reason. You're going to hear it when the question is being read. Hello, Jim. I have been told from a very reputable flooring company that we can lay floating engineered wood or wood laminate over our existing tile. Our tile has been popping up due to issues with the thin set. The floor company says they will add a, a thin layer of cement over our existing tile and make sure all is evened out and that all should be good. They have a 30-year warranty on their pro product and installation. What is your expert thoughts on this? Not with a 10-foot pole would I do this. Now, can you lay... A floating wood floor or a laminate floor over a tile floor? Yes, if the tile floor is holding. This tile floor is popping up. And a thin layer of concrete is not going to stop it from popping up. And the flooring company ought to be ashamed of themselves for even recommending that. The warranty, I can guarantee you, that the floor company is not warranting the product itself. The manufacturer of the flooring is warranting the product, and if they come out and then you got tile popping up underneath it, they're going to say, no warranty. And as sure as I'm sitting here, that's what would happen. Don't do it. If you want to lay over a tile floor, again, and it's all secured tightly, 
yes, you can do this. I don't typically recommend doing it that way, but it can be done. But in no circumstance should it ever be done over a tile floor that is popping up. Emails like this one. For the last four months, our water bill was for 2,000 gallons per month. This month, it jumped to 5,000 gallons. This past January, it jumped from 1,000 to 3,000 and back down to 1,000 in February. The rest of the months were 2,000 to 1,000, mostly 2,000 though. The water utility checked our daily usage on their computer and claims that daily usage varies without any pattern, supposedly indicating a leak. Should we worry about a hidden leak since our usage hadn't changed? The clerk suggested that it was due to a leak since the meter is physically read each month rather than periodically. I've checked for a leaky faucet or toilet and found none. If so, can you recommend someone who knows what they're doing and backs their work? Well, here's the deal. Really, I, I, after reading this email question, there's only two possibilities I can come up with on it. One, you got a toilet that periodically leaks, and that can happen. The flapper on the toilet, when it first starts wearing out, it will only intermittently leak. Well, if it's in a bathroom that you're not typically going to or something, you know, it, it could be leaking for several days before it gets flushed again. And a lot of times those leaks are slow enough, you don't hear it going. Now, a lot of times you will hear it, but, you know, not always. The other possibility, and i got to be honest, I think this one is more likely. A lot of times the water people don't want to tell you this, but water meters can go bad. Don't see it very often, but once in a blue moon, you will see one that will inadvertently, when it goes bad, start clicking up. And, and what it does is for every gallon of water that goes through, it reads that two or three gallons went through. You know, there's a reason gas pumps have to be inspected and calibrized periodically. When was the last time your water meter was done? And that sucker runs all the time. It pumps way more water th liquid through it than any gas pump does. So that, I think, is more likely what's going on. And honestly, some of these new uh, digital meters... They're worse about it than the old meters were. So check with the water department if they can, if they can hook up a secondary meter, which it, which they can do, a secondary meter to verify. And they, you need to have them leave it on for a few weeks to verify that the meter is flowing properly. Now they're going to give you all kinds of grief when you start asking for this. I don't know who told you that. No, that can't be done. It can be done squeaky wheel gets it done. So that's one of those things that, yeah, you're going to have to pitch just a little bit of a fit to get to get it taken care of. Anyways, 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. Hey, by the way, it can happen with electric meters, but extremely, extremely rare on an electric meter. And I, I got to be honest, I've never heard of it happening on one of the new digital electric meters only on some of the older meters did i ever hear about it so uh you know take that with a with a grain of salt however, however you want it.
You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.